call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 112 of Call It Friend of the podcast, where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie and my co-host Donna Katirnan watched a, a bunch of stuff that we're just going to talk about. We've also got a bit of listener feedback. Uh, check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at CallFriendOfPodcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations. Peace. I like the way we do a little um, flouncy outward It's reliably fine. on time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who else? Is, you know who's not reliably on time? Uh, do they flounce this person? They've been known to flounce. <laughs> who are we talking about? Uh, it's Mike Noodle. Oh, okay. No, no, that's it's Mike not Rice, true. Of course, famously, who never listens to the podcast <laughs> not, because not he's anymore. such a narcissist that if he did hear his name crop up, he'd become a big <laughs> fan of it immediately. <laughs> we would have heard back by now. Exactly, he'd be fed back. A hasty nod of approval from old Mike Neuters. Anyway, we've fallen a bit off the regular sketch this week, but we've figured out some different things to do. I've been unable to uh, keep up with the new movies, as you have. Yeah, I've seen, seen some a, new stuff. I've seen some new things. I've Were they good? Will things. we get to those later? Yeah, well, see, I've got four things. Okay, so here's the thing. Normally, we have a specific film to to focus on, but we haven't that watched both the same seen. things. No, yeah, we haven't. We haven't watched the same thing, so I've got four things to talk about, and we've got a couple of questions or bits and pieces to touch on. This is basically well. like our audition for becoming an actual movie review. Show. <laughs> I so guess what because be. so what have you been watching? Well, I've got like I said, I got four things to talk about, and I like to do it in ascending order of quality. So I don't the know. Worst. I, I, I might have to figure out mine first. Hold well, on. you've got a lot of things. You've got you told me one, two, three, four, five, six things. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> but at least two of them I've talked about before. I've also talked two about new, at least one of these before. Three new, actually. Whoa, okay. Yeah, I'd forgotten about the middle one. All right, fuck it. Let's just, uh, will I shoot out first? You should go first because you've got more. Okay. So I hadn't seen Dirty Harry in years when I watched it the other week. Had you? Have you? When's the last time you saw Dirty Harry? At least 10 years. What's the sort of, what's the gist you remember from it? I've always loved it. Always been a big fan. I love Andy Robinson as Scorpio. Yeah, he's the best. Getting paid to get beaten up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a crazy, grim scene. One one thing that I love about the writing in that, and I love about films from that era, is there's not a second wasted. It's like, even that the plot is always moving. When he hands over that money to that guy to get beaten up, you are like, what the fuck is this about? <laughs> what is this? Um, but it's all to a purpose within the script. It must have been very shocking as well. It's time. very shocking now. You know, you think so? I did, I just watched it the other week. <laughs> um, so it's like the third collaboration, I think, between Clint Eastwood and Don Siegel by this point. And we don't. We've watched at least one of the other ones. Yes, we did. We watched Escape, Escape from, from Al- Malcatraz. Escape from Alcatraz, exactly, which introduced the classic trope of there's always a big, angry, uh, gay rapist in prisons. <laughs> right, exactly. That's the antagonist of the prison system. The script, like when it like was the broth of so many chefs that some of the ideas they couldn't get going for it, so they made it to the sequel. Have you seen the sequel? I've seen all the sequels. Oh, I've really? Seen all four yeah. Of them. yeah well, I, this is the thing. I have. I think I've Magnum seen, Force. I think I've seen the second one way, more than any of them, but obviously the first is definitely the best. What's the third one? The third one is the one with the lady. 
And then there's the, uh, the Deadpool. De- Deadpool, the yeah, one with... With Jim Carrey. Yeah, exactly. And Jim Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson's in it. Holy yeah, yeah, exactly. It's been a long time. The vigilante cops from the second one were actually supposed to be an idea from the first that John Milius came up with. And Terrence Malick liked that idea as well. The oddest names you'd see that did work in this script, a lot of people did work in this script, will be Terrence Malick and Michael Cimino. They did, did passes on it. One of the ones that make a lot of sense, in hindsight, are the likes of John Milius... Siegel himself and Clint Eastwood, they all kind of contributed. But the real legwork, so these guys called the Fink Brothers based this script on, yeah, like you mentioned, the Mark Ruffalo character from Zodiac. Oh, yeah, Dave Toshi. But then this guy called Dean Reisner came in and gave him all the the cool lines and stuff like that. But, yeah, apparently an awful lot of what Siegel and Eastwood said contributed to the final thing as well. Now, the thing that I didn't really remember, I knew that Pauline Kael and Roger Ebert did said, oh, it's a fascist film. But I'd never realized until now how reactionary the film actually is towards everything. Because the thing is, Siegel, he was on his like 20th film by this point. He's, he's a veteran. He had opinions about stuff. So for anyway, for those who know nothing about it, Clint Eastwood plays a San Francisco cop hunting down a serial killer sniper based on the then prevalent Zodiac killer. He has a magnum, is very like laconic, says cool shit all the time. Uh, it's like a it's a fun action movie, and that's how I felt when I watched it back in the day. What I hadn't realized is just how much political subtext there is rammed in there. Like Ebert, I think called it a fascist fantasy, and it's not that people are always throwing the fascist word around. It doesn't really make any sense. But what it certainly is is like very right wing, like filmmakers having their say to the easy rider generation. And spoilers, they do not cotton much to the hippie nonsense like scorpio himself is a dirty evil hippie <laughs> he's a he's a, and all the institutions work against harry in keeping scorpio behind bars like much in the theme of too much government and too much bureaucracy and in the end harry himself has to chase him down in what's like you remember at the the school the bus Oh yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. like he, he kidnaps the school bus with a bunch of kids on it, and then he's like, "Sing!" Yeah, 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 exactly. And he's, he hits one of the kids; it's quite yeah. shocking. Um, but as he he approaches this railway bridge, and in the distance you see Harry standing on the bridge, right. and he's gonna, and it's like that is, and that uh, is a quotation. I, I've seen this film at least five times. I think like it's this is another film that is well, it's into so my brain. good. Like that, like the the, it, the the thing is for all the themes, and like even somebody like. Sam Peckinpah, he was apparently um, made to comment that, like, yeah, I mean, I'm not mad about its message, but there's no denying people were whooping in the cinema when I was watching it because he he would have seen it at a screening. Because so, the thing is, it's like, just to compare it, first of all, I suppose because Siegel was a veteran director, the, the action in it is, I mean, it's simple, it's not overdone, but because everything makes sense in the mechanics of it, it just works so much better than all the chaotic bayhem you could manage. Like the bus chase, on my mind now, like every shot through the roof is done in the right place, and every time Harry rolls to get away from the bullets, the shot hits right, there's like huge tension, there's odd bits of humor, he rubs up against the hippie community in San Francisco the wrong way. For just like a quote-unquote cop thriller it has so much more to say than i thought before and if you don't just want to listen to any of it that it's just like a great action flick and probably like it's definitely joined top for eastwood's most iconic role wouldn't you say yeah definitely it's joining like uh, i (laughs) there's a lot of ones joining the oh i'm gonna have to watch this every year but i would watch that again tonight yeah that i mean i was 
I've seen it so many times oh, just because so it's, it's fun. It's a fun one to go back to. You just are talking about buses. You just made me think that there's been more time since Speed than the period between Dirty Harry and Speed. <laughs> it's disturbing. We're we're more than halfway. <laughs> we're like we're like double the double that period at least. Speed is great, isn't it? Yeah, very fun movie. Cans. It's just cans. Pop quiz hot shot. Oh yeah, great role for Dennis Hopper. Yeah, I I always really liked Dirty Harry. I mean, fascist, I don't know. He's just the whole character was just like I hate everyone. I hate humanity. I hate everyone equally. That's what he says. He's like something like that. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's like he's he's a, he's racist, but he hates all people equally, and that's fine. And actually there's like a scene in it that's pretty much quoted it later in um Gran Torino cuz like he'll be he'll affectionately call people like a Polak or a Wop or something right. like that which is a thing that he's like old school yeah, he's yeah, exactly. got old he's school old racism school. against everyone but it's nice as you see real 1970s San Francisco I remember when the zodiac no sorry Scorpio let's give him his real name I remember when he's going to go and like shoot like the black church mm. and he shoots a kid yeah like it's just You've got um, Lalo Schifrin's score is all very kind of down, did it, down, did it, down, did it. Oh, I always, uh, I think that's a big part of it for me. The music's important for me, which we'll come to later for some other stuff. I think that one of the things that I love so t- so much, you brought it up again. Uh, well, you brought it up a, a little bit. Is um, for example, you've got the scene where Scorpio pays somebody to beat him up so that he can say Harry Callahan did it. But like then there's so like it was the, after the Irish blaming the Irish. So as opposed to somebody fitting, if like as opposed to somebody looking into, I don't know what are some normal tropes in movies. They looked into what would need to happen to make the plot move forward a certain way. And there's another one, another part of that in it where he goes into a liquor store and he he question because he questions this guy, this old man who's like you know a died in the world Republican clearly who just says. Oh, you that guy who's been robbed ten times, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's right. Not happening anymore. I got my, you know." And he's he's like, he's got guns. He brags about it, and then Scorpio goes to buy a bottle of whiskey, smashes him in the head with the bottle of whiskey, and robs his guns. And it's just such a, <laughs> it's such a statement of the dirty hippie ro- robbing the good old boy, you know. But it's what they needed to happen, sure, for Scorpio to get a gun again. It's like you remember we watched Black Hat, and there's that really weird bit where your man goes to oh, get the projectile the, missile. Yeah, yeah, he takes the big uh, rocket launcher thing out. Yeah, yeah, but Michael Mann is the sort of person who grew up watching 70s movies and needed something like that to happen for your man to have the projectile. (laughs) Taking the bazooka on the speedboat. Which I do appreciate. Yeah, me too. I like that. Anyway, what do you got? Well, like I said, I'm starting from uh, poor to best. And it's not necessarily that the first thing I'm going to talk about is awful, but it's just not at the same level of quality as everything else I'm going to touch on. So... I finally got round to watching uh, The Day Shall Come, the 2019 film from satirist Chris Morris, his follow-up to Four Lions. Yes. Uh, where are you on Chris Morris? So I've seen all of Brass Eye. Obviously, mm-hmm. I've seen him as a representative of the Farmers Union in Series 1 of Am- mm-hmm. I'm Alan Partridge. I've seen Four Lions. I think his acting needs to be separated away from the stuff that he's written. Well, he wrote Brass Eye. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about Alan Partridge. Oh, right. You don't I'm think si- he's good now? No, I think he's great, but I just think, like, oh, I there know needs to be, yeah, he, yeah it's yeah. not the same thing. No, of course not. Of course, you're you right. You know, and him and the IT crowd and stuff like that, like, that doesn't, doesn't hold any thing, weight to me. I'll tell you one thing that put me off watching this a little bit, is I heard interviews he was giving in the promotion to it, 
and it's like really heavily, densely researched. And I remember thinking, there's no way this can be funny. Well, I think you, I mean, it's not unfunny, but it's nowhere. I mean, so for me, like the day to day in Brass Eye were, were formative. Jam a little less so, probably due to its like straight up absurdity. I mean, that was a little bit, uh, that was a bit too much for me. I, I'm Brass Eye is I've probably no idea what number you're talking one. about. Jam. Yeah, I never seen that. You don't know Jam? Yeah. Oh, it's like it's another Chris Morris TV show featuring a lot of the same people. There was Blue Jam as well, was like a radio thing that he did first. And then yeah, Jam is like a, I think six episodes, Channel Four series. Yeah. I mean, I suppose he's up there in, in terms of highbrow comedy with the likes of Stuart Lee and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean there's there's that. They've he's in that he's in that gang and uh Steve Coogan and all those people that work together, but I mean, I, I really liked Four Lions, but I think Morris is best suited to longer form work. I would rather see him tackle TV rather than films. I don't I don't really... He doesn't work much anymore, does he? No, and he doesn't do interviews. He tries to stay at the public eye. He, I would say he's like... He's a bit of a spent force, to be fair, which is like, I mean, he's kind of retired. Yeah, he's semi-retired, I would say. And I I hadn't bothered to watch this one because the reception was a bit lukewarm. Like you said, I listened to interviews around the time and I remember him talking about it. It's based on true events, etc., etc. I mean, it's a typical modern Chris Morris satire and a similar mold to Four Lions. It follows a black cult based in Florida who are trying to bring down the white man using like the power of Allah, General but Toussaint cult, and Black Santa. Like generally like what that the CIA are pushing to exist. So anyway, it's like this call, they're kind of idiots. They refuse to use guns, but they have a horn which they plan to blow to to summon the dinosaurs to come and save them in their hour of need. So it's very much in the same vein as Four Lions. It's like terrorists as idiots. But they don't even, in this case, this film is even sadder because it's like, it's basically a satire of the post 9-11 policy of the FBI and other governmental agencies who are like doing their best to manufacture terrorist threats in order to justify their uh, budgets. So um, this is based, this film is based on the Liberty City 7 case, which saw the FBI basically entrapping a group of young black men and then sentencing them to years behind bars. You see, all right. I really like Four Lions. It was not what I was expecting, and it took a second watch for me to uh, uh, yeah. like it for like it for what it is. Let's say yes. And I suppose the main reason why th- that took a bit of readjustment for me is, as far as things he has done, Brass Eye is just incredible. Yeah, it's it makes fun of genuinely serious, societally harmful issues, not just pedophilia, like the drugs and sure, sure, um, all, like all sorts of crack. I can't remember every subject of every episode at this point. But like uh, environmentalism is another yeah, one. But yeah, he goes crime he, and animals, blah blah blah. He goes at them. The subjects are dark, but he never stops making jokes. But it's, that was a brass eye was also like a satire of the, current affairs news. Yeah, like the method of how things are presented. Yeah, yeah, to, like absolutely. I, like, but then, uh, so I suppose. I suppose basically what I'm saying is I preferred his earlier stuff. <laughs> I, I liked his earlier work back when he was young and cool. Yeah. I mean, here I got I've got this theory, right? When you're young. <laughs> <laughs> now the thing is, that's it. I think I rewatched um, Four Lions like a couple of years ago during COVID, actually, and I thought it was fucking yeah, great. Yeah, I would I would happily watch that again. I thought it was fuck. It took me. I've, I so much. I I felt like oh Jesus, it has taken me 
years to get this properly. I think it was like I was too young to watch it when I did. That's or like my, too men, like I don't know, immature. Right, it would okay. be the cr- better word, I suppose. So I would be interested to watch this. And this is written by Chris Morris and Jesse Armstrong. Armstrong's probably best known for co-creating Peep Show. Succession. And working on the thick of it and in the loop before finally creating Succession. Um, in terms of whether the film's worth watching, I think there are ultimately two major problems with it. First, it suffers the same way that the thick of it suffered when transposed to Veep. There's something quite British about the sensibilities that doesn't really come off here. It's same with hmm. the... American characters in in the loop compared to the Brits like the performances are fine but it just feels slightly off agreed and secondly I think the world has changed massively between 2011 when four lines was released and 2019 when this came out this was a thing this now you've just mentioned it but that was a thing that I had thought about when I heard the promotion for this I was just thinking it feels wouldn't, late. Wouldn't, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it this been great to come out in like 2006 or something? Yeah, but 2000, I mean, 2006 is when that Liberty 7 case happened. So like that's when the shit was really happening. So it's just too late. I mean, I was reading this Guardian article from 2016 titled, Is Satire Dead? Because I'm a wanker. <laughs> and it just, it like, it reminded me of that Trump Brexit post-truth period where like all the established media norms just kind of melted away. Like... Remember when the onion basically became redundant because everything you know, was so like, yeah, everything was fucking mad, and that's the same thing as like has happened here. You know, things don't feel sufficiently satirical. Like, what is the modern satire? The modern satire is probably something like fucking "Don't Look Up," which bashes you over the head <sighs> with its message all the time. I'm sure there must be something. A yeah, I more couldn't subtle. think. I was trying to think, like, what is the modern satire? I don't know. Do you know what's a, I think a, 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 a good shout for modern satire? But it's like layered. <laughs> you might disagree with me on this. Uh, I think Eastbound and Down too. is. Eastbound and Down is even old. I mean, that finished in 2015. Oh, right. Okay, or fair enough. It's old yeah, yeah, now. yeah. But I mean, we don't keep up with new stuff. I don't know. I can't. If if you're listening to this and you have an idea of what modern satire is, let us know if it's any good. Because like I can't think of anything that's not trying. It has to be so clear. Can you think of something right now off the top of your head that you of any era that you think is great satire? Well, like I'm going back to the Chris Morris shit. Obviously, like all those the series that he created were are at the they're like the pinnacle of it. And then things like you know, all this stuff I've already mentioned, like Jesse Armstrong. But is that s- satire? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, thick of it, that type of thing. Absolutely. It was just taking the piss out of how the, the system works. Mm-hmm. Like the UK political system. But pff, off the top of my head, I can't think. It's probably like political stuff going back to the 90s. Does Curb Your Enthusiasm count? Is that a satire? I mean, it's, it seems no. to be a satire of modern life in the same way Seinfeld was. I guess. But then you're, I mean... A, I don't know if that's like satirical or just just general comedy at that point. Yeah, I like. I mean, I I, I see what you mean, and the the worst. I suppose I'm just trying to veer away from admitting maybe "Don't Look Up" is modern satire. I think it's and like that just fucking the blows. worst element of it. Like it's just having to be so obvious because because there's no nuance anymore. I think that's what it is. It's like the death of nuance. So like here's. <laughs> you're, you're you remember worried about correctly people what, taking things the wrong way. If you remember correctly how I reacted to don't look, uh, yeah, don't didn't. look up. <laughs> you thought you didn't know I, what it was about. <laughs> well, here's the thing. 
it so beats you over the head that I didn't think that <laughs> they could they could possibly be doing climate change. Yeah. Uh, really, I'm not as dumb as I might right. sound like. With you're worried that. about meteors and uh, shit. No, I thought they were making fun of the idea of like n- news uh, hysteria. I guess there are to an extent, but it's all. But they're not really. They're <laughs> they're fucking making. F- they're they're taking pot shots of people who are skeptical about right, climate change. Right, right, right. And I ju- it was so obvious that I didn't think that could possibly. God, be what I they hate were doing. that film so much. I really didn't like it. God, come back to lame. this. The last thing I'll say about the day so calm is it has a couple of laughs, especially as it builds towards its climax. But it's just it's not really worth the effort. It's got some decent uh, people in it, like Anna Kendrick and stuff. But you're ultimately you're just going like, okay. I mean, but you it, don't you don't need to watch this. I can't say that anyone has to watch the day show come. This wouldn't. This isn't like satire, would you say? Or yeah, definitely. But it it's is. it is. But it just feels misplaced and out of its. It's odd to its, it's odd to satirize element, something Donnie. so niche. I don't know. I just just making fun of like U.S. policy post nine eleven. It's making fun of like the U.S. government and and agencies in terms of what they were willing to do to justify their own existence. And you know that all the like I said before, all the funding, all the money that they took, and then you know remember Would that you- remember that scene in the wire early on where where the uh, guys go to Fitz and he's like, you know, since those towers came down, yeah, yeah, yeah everything's yeah. all about the terrorists. It's just that, but like making fun of it. Would you say Four Lions is a satire? Yeah, absolutely. Of well, like what's ter- it satirizing? Just, I mean, uh, atti- I would... attitudes around terrorism and, you know, like some of the funny aspects around terrorism. Fair. I like, uh, the, my big impression of it, the last time I watched it was it's like, it's, it, it's just a really humane it kind of i've bring i bring up the example of snowtown an awful lot but like the one thing that dawned on me with snowtown it was it was like well one of the reasons this doesn't work is because there's absolutely no levity in this world at all right and that's just not real life and i thought basically i, I don't know <laughs> Like way before anybody realized this is what way before anybody but Chris Morris realized this is what ISIS was doing. He was taking pot shots of the fact that like terrorist groups in all likelihood target vulnerable young idiots. Yeah. Just people wanting to belong sure. to something. I mean, it it's was like, very controversial when it came out, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's based on you, you know. It's, yes, it's you, based on a couple of guys. B- yeah. But you have like people's attitudes towards terrorism, and then you have like what the reality might be in a lot of cases. There's things that you don't see, so I think that's mm. what it's touching on. Anyway, this was the worst of of my four. What have you got next? All right. Well, I got to see the marketing behind, or no, I got to see what's behind the extremely memorable marketing from the film Smile which is the debut feature of a guy called Parker Finn. Do you rec- did you see any of the marketing for this? Yeah, did, did they not have people at like sporting events and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, it was pretty like, cool. That's was, a good idea. It was so pretty people cool. like just kind of smiling in the background at like basketball games and stuff. So it's like it's a curse film with extremely effective imagery that eventually gets overwhelmed by its themes and metaphors a little. And it's a real pity because as like ghastly entities that are pursuing people and the people are trying to say to everybody, I'm cursed, I'm cursed. And everyone's like, oh, and they're like, oh, I see it, I see it right behind you now. The thing in this is basically, it's the scariest thing since the chick from the ring. Um, the chick from the ring. Sad- Sad- Sadako from Ringu. Um, so it's Kevin Bacon's daughter plays the lead in it. The casting sessions must have been great for this because the order of the day ha- is 
do the creepiest smile in the universe and stare because that's all it is. That's the only effect they I do. That's quite easy. Yeah, but man, like you know, they they've I they got they must have got the cream of the crop with the people they were looking for with this. So basically, a lady claiming to be cursed comes into um, Bacon's Laura's psychotherapist's office and says, "I'm cursed," and she describes the predicament as being just a weird smiling version of the people you know. And two plus curse movie two equals four. And before you know it, Laura has the curse and no one believes her. The scares are so effective that it kind of sucks to have to say this, but they lean so far into the metaphor, spoiler alert, it's mental illness resulting from trauma, that it overpowers the movie and kind of relegates it to a mere exercise in aesthetics, but a very good one. For me, it was impossible not to compare it like negatively to films like Ring, which itself with neglect and trauma as its central themes, but they're kind of explored. Do you remember, have you, when's the last time you watched the film Ring? Okay, I have to ask an important question. Which version of Ring do you prefer? Uh, oh, the Japanese version. I like the US one. I, li- I like the US version I like, too. I like the American I, one. I think, they're the, I, I think in the ultimate moments where she crawls out of the TV, the Japanese one is superior. I think the American one, I don't, I don't remember like the blue, I don't like was. the blue eyes in the American one. They changed one. something in the plot in the US version. But it, they both move it along. It's both the same shape. It's a mystery. It's this lady trying to solve a mystery. But something changed. I can't remember. And the solution. But I liked all the stuff with the horses and things like that. Anyway. Anyway, they like so I had fun with this, but then they just just lean too big into their metaphors, like horror seems to do these days, which I don't think it needs to. It's like if you look at a movie like let's say The Fly, which is famously about, it's AIDS. about insects. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Exactly, it's, it's about, by people it's about, turning into it's insects. It's people turning into insects, but they veil it very thickly, so you don't know. No, no, no. Like, I mean... It's about AIDS. Huh? It's about AIDS. It's about AIDS, I yeah. assume you mean the one in the 80s and not the one in the 50s, because that would be very disturbing if yeah. that's about AIDS. <laughs> then we need to be asking some that more questions. Like the, the fucking 9-11 yeah. implanted in the dollar bill. Yeah, no, no, no. It's not, <laughs> not that one. But yeah, like, I mean, basically, they have their themes there, but... The themes are, are wrapped around a grounded story and Smile is less concerned with that. And it's unfortunate. I think they're just kind of... Uh, I think in the cases of this, it's just... It's the style people go for these days. It's like something... I The first time I saw The Babadook, I loved it. And then when I got into kind of older horror movies, I sort of thought to myself, I prefer it when it's based in the real world and not in metaphor land. I think it just makes the movie better. Right. Rather than, you know, beating yeah, you over the head with monster. your metaphor. I yeah. want fucking Freddy Krueger. Exactly. I mean, which I don't, is... I don't want Freddy Krueger to be like, you know, child abuse. I want him to be a man with yeah, exactly. scissors for hands. And it makes you think of child abuse. Right. But at the end of the day, it's just a monster man yeah. in your head, which yeah. is way better. It's Indeed. actually scary. Yes. So as opposed to just, you know, jump scares that are... You know, once you realize, oh, it's all metaphorical, it's like, ah, it's not as scary. Anyway, so yeah, it, it's okay. It could have been better. Don't really recommend you check it out. Fair play. I saw it cost seventeen million and made two hundred and seventeen. So oh yeah, yeah, like it did very well. It's the a thing lot is, of money. the scares are very effectively done. There's one which is. Do you mind if I spoil something for you? No. Is it someone with bad teeth? No. Oh, <laughs> that will be scary indeed. Yeah. Yes, it's Austin Powers. No, so the lead character herself is seeing a therapist and her therapist comes around to see her 
Um, she's there talking away to her, and then she gets a phone call, and it's from her therapist saying hello to her. She uh, just turns around. I, even, I don't even like thinking about uh, it. Yeah, it's very spooky. That's scary. But then the last 20 minutes, it just leans so far into I Metaphor mean. Town that it sucks. That sounds very uh, Flanagan, that that whole note, like that part of having you know, a therapist call. Ev- everything that I've just mentioned, Flanagan is great at that. Yeah, yeah, at, yeah. Like grounding the scary thing. So the metaphors are there. Like Midnight Mass, I still... I, w- I want to go back and rewatch that again. It's so fucking good. Be- oh, I should. Yeah, I remember I sent you the thing. If anyone watched the oh, first yeah. season of uh, Midnight Club and you were, you wondered, because Midnight Club, I didn't even know, uh, has been canceled. It was canceled back in December. And Mike Flanagan put a, a, a post on Tumblr, which basically explained what was going to happen. And it actually sounded pretty interesting. It, it sounded much in, more interesting than the first yeah, season. Yeah, it sounded it was going to be good. The most surprising thing is that Mike Flanagan uses Tumblr. That was the thing. That was my big takeaway. It's disappointing. Yeah, but still. Yeah. What all you got? Well, Number next three. up. Next up is uh, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Ooh, I really want to watch this. I genuinely do. I've heard it's quite good. I think you're more into fantasy than I am. Well, actually, I know you are. I'm not such a big fan. This film is described as a fantasy heist comedy film. I'm in. There's a lot of those. Directed by Jonathan Goldstein and uh, John Francis Daly, a.k.a. the ever-lovable Sam Weir from Freaks and Geeks. Now he's... You know that, Freaks and Geeks? I know Freaks and Geeks, but I can't he's, remember which character is Sam Weir. the lead, the lead kid, the main kid. The smiley, nice young boy from nah, Freaks and Geeks. No he's idea. a director. To me, the leads are like James Franco and no, stuff. No, Franco's not the lead. Sam Weir's the lead. I watched it when the it leads, was on once. Okay, okay. The leads are Martin, so John Francis Daly, Martin Starr. He's one of the leads because he's one of the nerdy kids. They're They're the leads. Franco's like the Franco's the cool kid. Him and Rogan and look, I uh, get it. They, you yeah, really okay. want anyway, them, you anyway. really want them to bring back Firefly, okay? I Please. understand. Goldstein and Daly's other films include 2015's Vacation Reboot and 2018's Game Night, alongside a few other. I like Game credits. Night. Yeah, well, Game Night uh, share, this shares a bit with with Game Night in terms of taking a silly idea quite seriously, which is what they're I think they're quite good at is not. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Anyway, this Dungeons and Dragons film came about after the pair dropped out of directing the upcoming Flash film, ah. which is a, allegedly, I've heard from many different sources, is supposedly really, really good. The Flash movie. The Flash movie, multiple people have said, is genuinely really, really Who good. Who are these people? Just, just, just people. Just Can sources. you reveal I your got, sources? I can't reveal these sources. Oh, no. But. I heard it's good. Anyway, Goldstein and Daly have a lot of respect for Dungeons and Dragons. It would seem uh, they ended up making a film that's funny, but never at the expense of the film itself. There's no, there's no fourth wall breaking winks to the camera, etc. It's instead they treat the world and his characters seriously and build comedy through funny performances from Chris Pine as the hero and Hugh Grant back at his scene stealing best as one of the baddies. Oh yes, yeah, you'd like a it. You grand buddy, I mean, it's very Paddington uh, too. There's quite, there's quite a bit of that. In much the same way, Game Night was. I heard it's like a fun movie that they used to make. It yeah. is. It feels a bit of an old school. The only knock against Chris Pine is that his character feels like it was written for Jason Bateman. Okay. Just because, like, you know, Bateman is a bit better at pulling that off. I like Chris Pine. He's fine, but he doesn't have those chops, as far as I'm concerned, to do like sarcastic comedy i don't know chris like what is chris pine that's my question is he a leading man is he supposed to be doing comedy 
because he's been all over the place, and I feel he like has, now yeah. he's sort of been relegated a bit to. He's just a guy that you get. I like his uh, that movie that uh, one that Taylor Sheridan scripted. Um, oh yeah, yeah, Hell High Water. Water. Sure. Oh, I forgot he was in that. Yeah, oh, that's you know good. it's been so long since I've seen that. I forgot he was in it. It's a reference to Speed Three. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the the father dead episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman he is plays a priest. A priest. Oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sorry for the bad accent. Uh, anyway, this film is long. Uh, I didn't know what know. happened to your accent there. This film <laughs> is long. Yeah, 134 minutes. 134 minutes, you could argue. Even it's a that's bit an old school much. decision. Maybe a bit too much for a fantasy heist comedy, but it never drags, mainly because the characters are always moving on their quest. It's one of those films where they're just constantly moving on to the next thing, the next thing. I'll say this shout, shout out to Justice Smith, who plays like uh, a wizard character who is English in the film. Like he has like a British accent in the film. I thought he was English. When I heard his real voice, I was like, no fucking way. Who's Justice Smith? He was in uh, Detective Pikachu. Some... <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know that. He was in Detective Pikachu. I haven't seen that. Because uh, I looked up, I was like, who the fuck is he? I had the same thing. But we he's like, see, a, he's, he's we like a young s- black guy from the US. We were going to see this or Mario Brothers uh, the other night, but we, like, yeah, we didn't have the, the energy or the chutzpah. Fair play. But uh, yeah. That's it. this. This does. You should have gone. Into, you should. You should have gone to see Air. I'll say that before I talk about Air. Anyway, this film broke even. Uh, I guess it made 178 from 150 budget. Uh, no I don't know if that's you, breaking even or if that's making a loss. Uh, well, more. they've already confirmed a spin-off TV series. I wouldn't be surprised to see a sequel to this because it was well received. It, it was very well received. Yeah, and I, I think if Goldstein and Daly are helming it, I'd, I'd wager that it'll be solid because they know what they're doing. They've 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 got good comedy, but serious comedy chops. Well, with regards to sequel production, the trade papers have gotten very interesting in the last month or so. Like some of the stuff that's come out about failing IPs is, you know, I would think that the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe will be coming sooner than we think or would have thought. But also it's like... Yeah, thousands more people just got laid off at Disney. Uh, well, like Literally just yesterday, I think. But I suppose it's all the... The leaning so heavily on IPs and, I don't know, with no love for the content, whereas something like this, which people clearly did enjoy, and like people like Disney and Amazon leaning so heavy on their Lord of the Rings and the Star Wars, whereas Netflix, if 50% of the people don't finish a show, I think their threshold is 50%. If it's any anything less than 50%, gets cancelled. That's it. Fair play. And in the TV world, like that's ruthless. Relatively, people will forty percent. They'll they'll let get a second season if they really believe in it. Netflix does not care at all. Now, recently, the trades released. I think there was an insider scoop in Amazon that said less than thirty three percent of the people who started Rings of Power finished it. Now, that's the most expensive show of all time. Um, and it doesn't matter how much money you have coming in. You can't afford to keep things going like that. Are they going to renew it? Has it been renewed? They've already, they're already in the middle of shooting it. But the, here's the thing is, like, they've paid the rights, which are very expensive rights, for five seasons of this fucking show. So even, <laughs> they, like, they have paid more than the show will cost already if they hadn't paid for the rights. So this, 
idea of IPs being the way forward, especially old school IPs, it's kind of getting to be on its last legs because there's no love for them. Marvel have gone to shit characters now. They've got nobody else really to, they've got nobody good to work with. The Blade movie isn't going to work. Like they're going to neuter the Daredevil movie, so to speak. Andor seemed to be the last gasp of something cool because I did not get on well with Mandalorian season three. But then... You got a lot of fan love and critical love for this movie, Dungeons and Dragons, which I suppose would lead one to think that particularly, I think Warner Brothers produced this, did they? I feel like it was Paramount. I'm trying to remember the star of the film. Ah, well, potato, potato, because Paramount are another studio that are trying to take things in a slightly different direction and explore Mm -hmm. new original properties. So it is interesting and cool to see that this got on so well that it did, particularly when these boys made Game Night, which is essentially an 80s screwball comedy. Mm. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. What's next? I watched The Guilty. Which one? Uh, Anton Fuqua's latest. uh, You watched the remake? Yes. Interesting. Script by Nick Pizzolatto. And remake of Danish film of the same name is on paper exactly the kind of thing I'm up for. It's Jake Gyllenhaal as a cop relegated to answering phones till he beats a murder charge, if he beats it. It's him on the phone to different folks, bored in the same set from different angles until a call that seems to be a wife kidnapped by her husband sees him invested in saving lives. The film gets heavy, not quite as heavy as the Danish one, I read the summary, as it progresses, and I think that's a little to the film's detriment. One film that's unbelievably similar in terms of its ambition is Stephen Knight's Locke, and I think that really works well, better actually, by leaning into its novelty and weirdness and not overstaying its welcome. Even though this film is around the same length, the fact that it gets so feckin' serious, because it's confined to one set but he's walking around the set and to sort of different rooms, but you're still like, well, that's a soundstage. Whereas, like, don't get me wrong. Do you think you should just have been sat in the one chair the whole time? Maybe. Like, I think Locke works really well. Yeah, that's just Tom Hardy in a car, right? Yeah, yeah, with with voice performances. Yeah. Like, uh, the plot is perfect for the setup um, in Locke. And I found that the setup in The Guilty actually had me wanting to get out of the call center and out around LA where the film is based. Especially considering how good Antoine Fuqua is at, like, urban crime stories. The saving grace of the film is Jake Gyllenhaal, who I oddly often seem to forget is genuinely one of the best actors in the business. He's absolutely fantastic. He's great in this. He keeps you going in a way that the plot didn't quite. Um, watch out for very odd voice cameos from Bill Burr and Billy Paul Dano. Burr's in it. Yeah, I yeah. saw that. Anyway, yeah. And Dano as well. Nice. A little bit let down by it because I thought this is exactly my cup of tea It's now. like a follow-up to uh, Prisoners. You've got Gyllenhaal and mm. uh, Dano. Here's the thing as well is like Antoine Fuqua has gotten shit on a bit from critics over the years, but I like nearly every one of his films I've seen. He did Training Day, right? Correct. That was his big splash. Yeah. I like yeah, Tears like in a... the Sun. I like what's the I like the Equalizer movies. Oh yeah, I watched both of those during lockdown, I yeah. think. I, I quite like them. I think they're fun. Yeah, I like seeing Denzel Washington just going and murdering people. I like Magnificent Seven. I haven't seen that remake and kind of refuse. Fair enough. Don't need to see Chris Pratt doing that. Anyway, what do you got? Well, this is my third thing, and uh, this is another cinema trip. I went to see Air. The new Ben Affleck. No, the French band from the early 2000s. Oh, very good. Were yeah. they uh, were they accompanying the film Virgin Suicides? <laughs> That's right. They were doing a bit of that. 
Sexy boy. Well, let me tell you about my cinema trip because it was a classic. It was like, it was my first time back at the cinema. Well, no, that's not true. I'd been to the cinema not that long before, but it was the first time back in the cinema where I was surrounded by dickheads. And oh, what were they doing? So when I came in, there weren't that many people in the screening. And I was up near the back because I like to be hiding away in my little lair. And the first thing I noticed when I came up to the top of the of the room to get to my seat was a girl with her, her boyfriend. She put her feet, her feet were like dangling over the top of my chair. Over here, she had her feet over my headrest. Bare feet. No, no, no. She had her shoes on. So, you know, oh, that's thank good. God. Yeah, thank God. For the film. Absolutely. So, like, I had to just kind of go, like, yeah, I'm going to sit down. So, please move your Nothing feet. Nothing sexy about shoes. But she also did. She moved her feet very quickly. Then, as I was sat there watching some awful adverts, a couple came in. Uh, a, the lady had a very, very young child strapped to her which was concerning, like a baby, a very, very small baby. What an irresponsible parent. Yeah. Well, this kid needs to, wants to see um, the story of Michael Jordan, so that's fair. Uh, I looked this then, up recently to see, this could is I bring a my kid to, to Super Mario Brothers? And they said, no, but not until they're a minimum three. So This is mad. I mean, this is, like, this is such a weird thing for people to... Okay, like bringing a, like, an almost newborn child. Okay, it's a film that includes like the word fuck about 60 times, right? Okay, so next, coming into the cinema, there was a family you of noting like... all of this? Yeah, yeah, I made notes as soon as I got out because it fucking pissed me <laughs> off, right? So after this, right, there was four or five 10-year-olds come in. They look about 10 years old. They're with two parents. One is Catalan and one is English, like the parents. So the kids speak like a weird mix of like English and Catalan, right? They've got bikes, they Independence, their, they brought their bikes into the cinema. They put their bikes against the screen. I've never seen anything this like is, this before. This is like the fucking do you know what Twilight I would do? Zone. My wife would back me up on this if I if she was here. I what? would embarrass her. I would go out and complain and get the... I, I, well, it's probably... It was like So these kids are like... They can understand what's going on. But this is a film of men in rooms in 1984... Like here's one of the reasons I was hesitant about watching laughing it. and joking and saying fuck and various derivations of fuck again and again and again. Right. So these kids like they were like standing up, going and getting water from their mom. They were kicking the seats in front. The guys who were sitting in front of them seemed like absolute dickheads. So I didn't mind that part. But those guys moved like they had to move seats. The two guys, two adults who were sitting in front. But one of those two adults had already come in earlier and taken off his trousers and shoes. He had shorts on. He had shorts on. But he took his fucking trousers and shoes off and it was looking at me. Doesn't matter. He turned how... around to look at me while he was doing it. And it I was does... like, what the fuck is going on? It and doesn't it... matter how many times you say he had shorts on. I'm just picturing his hairy ball. <laughs> he took his trousers and he took his shoes and trousers off. But he was getting so frustrated, which I quite enjoyed. Like he kept turning around and going like, Ugh. <laughs> Just, Ugh. it's like that was his annoyed reaction. It's like, all right, you my, kick, you kick my shoes, children. I'm taking my fucking <laughs> trousers off. Take a look at this. Uh, but this was like, I'll say this. I'm so glad that it was a film that is breezy and has so much energy because if this really, if it even had a second where it required, you know, like patience, if there was silence, if there was any emotional weight to anything, I would it would have been awful. But luckily, it was like having a constant fucking drone in my ear where I was like, I should have just stayed at home 
Mm. Like if this was available on streaming, it's a fine streaming film. In fact, this this is an Amazon streaming film that tested so well it got a theatrical release. And so let me see. Hold on. Affleck filmography. We got Gone Baby Gone, The Town, Argo, <clears throat> and this, right? The- no, you've missed one. 2016 Dennis Lehane adaptation, Live by Night. I've never seen that. Me neither, but I was actually thinking about watching it after this because I'll say one thing for Affleck. He knows how to direct a film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's very good, very solid, looks good. Film looks good. He understands what works and what the best I've seen in his films, though, I would say is Gone Baby Gone. I think that's I love that. I've seen that so many times. Yeah, me too. I've seen it like four or five times. times. For a film that's like levered around a twist, I like it's just endless. It's very watchable. I, I love it. Casey Affleck gives a great performance. Yeah. Um, and even the little twists in the plot that you remember, they're... There's so much. They're, it's they're, it's they're, very they're, dense. There's a lot more going on around it. Like, the scene, even though you remember it happens, it's just such an unusual thing to see in a movie when Michelle Monaghan leaves him for the decision he makes. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. I thought that was great. Yeah, um, great. And The Town, I thought, is... The Town's great. I've watched both versions of that, the director's cut and the theatrical. I didn't I even like know there both. was a director's cut. Director's cut's quite a bit longer. They're both Argo great. is probably, of his films that I've seen, my least favorite, actually. Yeah, Argo's still, I mean, that's his, like, did that win Best Picture? I think it did, no. It won a chunk of Oscars anyway, but I think that was one of those, you know, divided voter years or yeah, something like that. But still, Argo's fine. Argo's completely fine. Anyway, this this is the story of how Nike or Nike, I'll never say Nike, I refuse it to Nike. Fair play. Uh, this is how Nike signed Michael Jordan. If you've heard, Michael Jordan was a basketball player. Ah, uh, yes. familiar with him. Jordan was a huge uh, Adidas guy. I'm not going to say Adidas either. It's Adidas. After dinner, I did a shit. Yeah, exactly. All day, I dream about sex. Addy Dassler, blah, 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 blah. Jordan was a huge uh, Adidas guy, and Nike had zero presence in basketball. They were all about running shoes. So this is all about their story of how they changed their company and made billions of dollars. I got questions. Happily ever after. Who wrote the script? It's written by, um, I think it's uh, Affleck and Damon, I want to say. Maybe someone else. Really? How long is the film? It's written... No, sorry, I'm talking shy. It's written by Alex Convery. And length? It's 112 minutes. This is the only thing this guy's ever written. Somebody, said, like, breezy, you, breezy, could easily say, you could easily say this about, like, uh, The Social Network, but I just can't imagine this story it's being that. that interesting. Well, I mean, that's... I think what they do quite well is, like, there's a lot of suspense, even though you know the outcome. Mm. And I think that works quite... Like, they... I think Affleck makes... a good cast? Yes, yeah, solid, solid cast. Affleck, Damon, um, Jason Bateman is in it. Chris Tucker, Marlon Wayans in a quite serious-ish role. Doesn't know, I didn't recognize him at all. Sounds like there's no ladies. It's my, uh, my there's cup of basically tea. no ladies. Uh, yeah. Viola Davis plays Jordan's mom, and that was something that Michael Jordan had specifically requested. Huh. He was like not really involved in the film. You don't actually see Michael Jordan... You see the back of his head of the actor, like an actor playing Michael Jordan. When I heard that that's what they were doing, I I figured that that's the angle they would take. It's good. I think it works. I think that all works really well. Um, Well, Affleck is playing Phil Knight, the CEO of uh, Nike. Yeah, I can can see that. It has semi kind of last jewel energy in the, like Affleck has crazy hair. And him and Damon are just doing like, you know, they're just doing whatever they want. And like Jason Bateman's on form. It's it's an it's a period piece. It's set in nineteen eighty four. Affleck's really good at setting the period. Like there's apart from being well shot, it's just there's it's like a fucking nostalgia fest of uh, like there's 
this opening scene, you know, opening sequence where you just see like all this imagery from 1984 and you're transported there. The soundtrack is crazy. It's like Dire Straits, Violent Femmes, Big Country, Springsteen, Run DMC. The money they must have spent on the soundtrack is 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 wild. What Affleck seems most interested in, and again, I haven't seen Live My Night, but what he seems to be most interested in as a director, as a storyteller, is like how hardcore professional men get shit done. And like, yeah. is that the dramatic engine in this story too? It's Just how very, they manage to get it done. It's like... A very pro capitalist, pro business, pro let's well, like make that. some money, let's let's get shit done. hundred percent, yeah. It's it there's there's snappy dialogue, there's funny character moments, it's funny. There's a couple of moving speeches that are really like that kind of like, you know, life is a game of inches. Like that type <laughs> of that type of thing going on. And my main takeaway was like, I wanna go back and watch the last dance again. Oh, which is I've seen I that through that. twice. I, Man, I need to watch it again. Terrific. Like I, I came away so going good. like I just wanted. I went and I, I watched like some Jordan clips. I went to YouTube and just tried to remember some. Do of the you great know, moments. So, like, like I, I remember um like after having watched the Last Dance or because it was coming out week to week at the time. Yeah, and I communicated with uh, somebody, and he said, "God damn, like uh, Jordan's a total psychopath, isn't he?" And I just remember thinking, "Yeah, he's a good athlete." <laughs> I just remember thinking, "Oh well, you, you, like this isn't as like alpha as I'm making it sound." But I remember thinking, well, "That's a fucking loser mentality," because <laughs> like the thing is, you're not meant to look at him and, and go, "What a nice personally. guy." You're meant to go, "Wow, that's really what it takes to win," and because he because he did a yeah. lot. And he, I, I just, uh, I found it to be incredible because you're just, you're learning about a human who's essentially a different species. Yeah. My mate Danny says, uh, not our mate Danny, different guy. Because uh, I don't know, have you ever been to see a basketball game? Yeah, but crap. I went to one in Vigo, I remember. Oh, I went to, like, I went to, like I was Spanish. Just, uh, I saw the Boston division or something. Celtics uh, years ago. Yeah, I think you win. And, like, they're fucking Greek gods. These they're in they like to see them up close. It's just crazy how how just big and athletic they are. And sure, they're only getting more athletic. But in terms of the last dance and how it communicated, like how one man's drive could do something superhuman, not just for him but all his teammates. Like I mean, they were great players, but he elevated yeah, them. They were it nowhere. has to be said, they're not at his level. Yeah, yeah. I'm I I'm, I'm enthused to see this now. I have yeah, to say, it's worth watching. It'll be on Amazon not in not that long, I guess. I mean, they just had this release window. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets some Oscar love next year. I could see that from some performances, etc. I'll uh, I'll smack down two boyos in the one stone. Yeah, good. Well, mainly because the second one is slightly related to uh, to what we were just talking about there. So I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for the fucking fourth time. Uh, it's still great. I put it on to pass some time as I remembered being quite taken with the opening. And the next thing I knew it was 1 a.m. And Rick Dalton was being invited in for cocktails at the Polanski residence. And I'd watch the whole fucking thing again. The subtext of this film is incredible. Like... I've read the novelization, something I highly recommend any fans of the film get done, or even the audiobook, uh, as read by Jennifer Jason Lee. And it only serves to deepen my love of the film, particularly of the Brad Pitt character, Cliff Booth. Also, watching it within the same two-week period of seeing Dirty Harry, I, that's a great hippie-hating double bill, if ever <laughs> I've seen one. It made me want to drink, smoke, and watch old movies, and a film that gives that kind of justification needs no further recommendation, I would say. Then... I've only seen it once. 
Oh, I saw it in the it cinema. I did, it didn't really do that much for me. I would re- give it another I guess go. I need to watch again. There's a lot of Tarantino things like that that I think I need to rewatch now. Um, one that people I, I, I've often found I disapprove of people's low rating of is Death Proof. I haven't seen it. Which that. I love. You've I never seen it? It's the only thing I haven't seen. I'd really recommend giving that a bash. I, I just, love Death Proof. I just can't. I don't. I just never... You would, you would have fun instantly. I guess. I wasn't a big fan of the Kill Bills either. Yeah, you've said that. Yeah, just something about it. I, I'm sure if I revisit it, it could work. But like at that time in my life, I sort of wrote them off, I guess. I remember we went to see Hateful Eight together. We went to the road show for that. Yes. The big... Which I many. wasn't a big fan of. I like that well enough. It's well made. And I've rewatched it since. I don't... I am... There's too many origin stories in it for me. Like every time a new yes. character walks in, they go, "Do you know who that is?" And I like that. I yeah. like. I love. Oh I yeah, like, you like a narrator. I like my voiceovers. I like some. Tell me some stories. Do you know who that is, you dumb dumb. How about yeah. I tell you the whole story? Uh, anyway, just to line up thematically with um, Air, I rewatched a Call It Friendo favorite. Still my favorite for- sports film of all time, and probably an entry in the once a year watch list alongside um, Heat and a Serbian film. Moneyball. Moneyballs. God damn. I mean, it's very difficult to... Fa- you might not have considered this. It's very difficult to fathom that Bennett Miller hasn't made a film since Foxcatcher. Everyone who works for him seems to get nominated for Oscars, and now he doesn't even seem to work anymore. He says he finds it super draining. I think we yeah. talked about that before. Like, he doesn't like making films. No, no, no. He says he's he considers himself a drifter. He doesn't own a house yeah, or a, a car or nothing. Just directs ads and moves along. <laughs> He's like Jack Reacher, but in yeah. ad director form. I find this movie more inspiring than Rocky, and it's fairly accurate to what occurred uh, when Billy Bean, uh, as played terrifically, subtly by Brad Pitt, revolutionized the game of big baseball by making it more boring, apparently. But it honestly lines up fairly well beside the whole triangle inversion crack that you hear about uh, European football in the 40s or whenever the fuck that happened. I love the fact that the battles in it are... Ones of will between personality types. Like, there's a scene where he gets rid of a player just because Philip Seymour Hoffman's coach won't start the team as he's instructed to. And that plays out in the most realistic example of big manning another person that I can think of. That's what this film is fucking great at, is like... Okay, even though I love a cinematic reaction where somebody goes, you know what, buddy, fuck you, and punches them in the face. Like, this is just men being like oh are you really gonna fucking do something and then you know billy bean is just able to big man people with intelligence there's another guy played by a guy called ken ken medlock grady fusan who's like a a coach and he's had enough of billy bean's antics oh that's the early on in the scouting scene and he aggressively kind of puts his hand on bean's shoulder before getting fired which admittedly didn't play out like that i looked it up after this time but still this is how people actually fight when they're not characters in movie. Like, a hand on the shoulder like that and fucking get your Fuck hand off. Fuck you Billy. Uh, whether it's for the themes or the tone or the performances, this is one I come back to again and again and again. And I just I just absolutely love this movie. I think it's it's day will come. Yeah, I always love the uh, the mighty Rio Grande. That song. What's the uh, Texan post-rock band? That was like their... Explosions like in the sky? It's not explosions in the sky. It's someone similar to explosions. Uh, Godspeed, you black emperor. No, 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 no. It's not. They're not that good. This Russian is circles. Song. No, it's uh, this will destroy you. That's what they're called. This was like that was like their one big song, the Mighty Rio Grande. It's it great. is great song. It's a great. fantastic film. Yeah, 
such a big fan. And like, it makes me want to rewatch Foxcatcher, to be honest, because it's just, I mean, yeah, then and then when I look at the three films he's made, Capote, Moneyball and Foxcatcher, I like the sign. The, I even like the kinds of materials he's attracted to. I like his shooting style. Uh, he's evidently very good at directing actors. I don't know. It's just great. I haven't yeah. seen Foxcatcher. The only one you haven't seen one third of his movies yeah i don't know right, what else I you got? have an opinion well my last one is uh the best save the best to last that's how i do it this was a film that was recommended to me by enemy of the show luke mcginsky a while um, back not luke mcginsky he said it was good and uh, i've heard this is very good i'm sorry to say but he's right i'm sorry to say but he knows what he's <laughs> he knows what he's talking about this is one of the best films i've seen in a long time it's called asbestos asbestos it's about a group of people who have to strip out the lining of some walls and then they get cancer because all the stuff goes in their lungs. No, it's okay. It's got asbestos, which is Gallego, which is the language of people from Galicia. And it, mean, it's, it means the beasts. So I'm going to call it the beasts from now on. It's from last year. It's a Spanish thriller directed by Rodrigo Sorogoyen. I've heard it's quite funny too. Uh... It's pretty fucking dark. It's pretty hard going. I don't know that I would describe it as funny. It oh, really? Is... Oh, I, I almost don't want to hear any more. <laughs> no, I think I'll, I'll give you just the outline, but... <sighs> Uh, the director's done a few well-received films like El Reno and Madre. I don't know if you same seen director as El Reno. Yeah, that's maybe my favorite. That's Spanish like a movie political. Oh, I love that movie. I haven't yeah. seen it. I haven't seen. Absolute this is the only film of his I've seen. I got to check this out. You need to see it. I'll give you just the basic basics. All right. So the Beast is, uh, is is based on real events. It follows a French couple who are kind of semi-retired. They've moved to the countryside in the northwest of Spain to focus on living off the land, farming, selling vegetables at the local market, etc. And then early on in the film, the couple have a run-in with their yokel neighbors, uh, Jeanne and his intellectually impaired brother, Lauren. As some, you've spent some time in Galicia, yeah? About six months, yeah. Plenty of yokels in Galicia. <laughs> I never saw these guys. I lived on the coast. This is like inland. Um, this is countryside. Like my wife's parents have a house in right. real yokel land this Galicia. is you this is this is it this is this this is this place yeah, yeah this is the where the film is set oh i'm so looking forward to this so they have the this couple this french couple they have a run-in with these local farmer guys who don't take we don't take kindly to foreigners around here and uh without spoiling anything well i'm this is gonna i just i don't know if i should even say it's do, got do, do. all right okay so without spoiling anything too much what follows is very much in the vibe of like straw dogs or eden lake or it what? goes that way it goes that way i haven't seen, even seen eden lake but i know how it works so it's like that kind of oppressive small town hostility to outsiders with a bit of like winter's bone thrown in too like my dick just moved i watched this in the cinema it's in three languages spanish french and gallego I was saw it here in Spain, so there were subtitles for the French and Gallego parts. And my Spanish is is decent; it's not bad. There was only one scene that I was a, it was a bit hard to understand the the yokel guys talking, and I was reading the subtitles, but there was a lot of material there that was a bit tough. But mm. the power of this film is that it's so well made, and the performances are so strong that I think even if you didn't understand the language, I still think people would enjoy this film. I know that's a mad thing to say, but like, I, I honestly think this is a great, great, great film. The opening shot of the film is Jeanne and Lauren breaking in a wild horse. 
and it's like this beautifully choreographed ballet showing their raw power refined over generations of working the land and they touch back on that later but like this director i'd never seen anything of his before but he's extremely competent I can attest to that. Yeah, with, I mean, um, you know, right. Reno, so like, the film, this film won a ton of Goyas. I, I, I can't believe it didn't make the Spanish pick for best foreign language film at the Oscars. It was on I mean, the short list. Of things, yeah. But anyway, this film, The Beasts, I don't know, Spanish films making a comeback. I can't recommend this enough. Very, very strong. Well, this, do you know what? El Reno was my go-to with saying Spanish movies are on the up. Well, this guy's solid. Yeah, yeah, clearly. He because I, like, I honestly... Not just as a, a just a a stark defense of like Spanish movies, El Reino is really good. There is particularly a sequence in Andorra of all places that will just have you on the edge of your seat. Like, is this tense? Oh yeah, 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 big time, big time. Oh wow, I'm so looking forward to this, and it's, it's a long one as well, so I'll need some time aside. Yeah, it's like it's two hours twenty or something like that. It's available. You can find it in all. Yeah, your, yeah, it's on Mobistar. You find it in all your usual places online if you're looking. I would watch it again. I'd be happy to see it with English subtitles because there's probably a, a few things that I might have a, the gist of and didn't get like real specifics to. Well, I'm going to watch this. I would give. I would take a high recommend from me and watch um, uh, El Reino. Yeah, I would happily off the back of this. I, I've already. I got hold of a bunch of his other films and I would happily watch all of them. But it's just time. Hell yeah. It's time is the problem. Well, time is how long it took me to watch all five seasons. And there's one movie left to finish it off of a show that I can't believe I didn't think of when you were asking what are good examples of TV to replace the, the, the form of novels. I'm almost a bit sensitive about saying that I read books like this because very recently I put up a picture of me having just finished the book Enigma on the Instagram and your flatmate. Have you watched the film? No, I haven't watched the film yet. Watch the film. I will watch the film, but I love the book. And somebody said, oh, it's such a dad book, which I thought was wow. a bit rude. Uh, you are, you're a father, that's it fine. It is. I, yeah, I am a father, but I mean, it doesn't mean that it defines my choice of literature. Anyway, uh, fucking The Last Kingdom are definition dad books as well. And the series is fucking great. I don't know how I didn't bring this up because... Have I brought this up to you before? I've I'm, never heard or thought about this ever i'm a big big fan of this series this is like i hate hate to say this because i'm sure there's critics that have said this before i haven't read them though it's like game of thrones but it's real like like it's bit like okay so they do a thing are there dragons if you if you read if you read any historical fiction robert harris does this as well is like he'll take actual historical incident Enigma, the book, does this in a big way and just inserts somebody of modern sensibilities so you can get your head around it. Now, when you go back a thousand years where the, when this is set, so the main character is this guy called Uhtred who could, who's basically got a post-Enlightenment sensibility about him, which I always, like, I hate people looking at history in that sort of way, but it makes sense as an entry point into the story. So this is set around the time of the formation of England around the time of Alfred, Alfred the Great and um, his children and then his his grandson Athelstan and how England was formed. And the main character is this half Danish, half English warrior called Uhtred. And it's just, it's a perfect insert into the times that they were. Because I've heard people say that, for instance, the the fifth season of this, it takes a dip. I I think they're just reacting to how chaotic the history gets but Mm. the thing is they do keep it a lot real with the history and anybody who studies this period 
it was it was a terrifying time to be alive. Like it's so violent, and the show is like you know it 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 never leers at the gore in the way that something like um, Valhalla Rising by Nicholas Winding Refn does. But it like it is violent. People die a lot, fairly indiscriminately. They don't you know they won't surprise you in the same way as a Game of Thrones. But, oh, I mean it's also it's real history. There's five seasons worth of this. Uh, one thing that I really like about it is it's viewed through the prism of history. So supernatural stuff is is a little bit real, but only because I, I can't remember the name of the historian who, who said this, but there's a, a very famous guy who said, and he meant it, is like, well, you have to believe ancient history because you don't really have an option to. It's like, if they say that the gods interfered in the battle, then guess what? If all the records say that, that's what we fucking have to go on. So mm. sometimes they have that. They'll never have exactly explicitly but it'll be what the characters think happen and that'll work in terms of the plot i love it i think it's just really really compelling stuff and it's basically the one story five seasons which is about 30 years and now they've just finished it off with a movie which i haven't watched just yet but i'm really really i think it's lower rated than the series i heard like a few people said it shit the bed I'm just oh. reading like random opinions, so take that with a. I mean, I'll still watch it. Yeah, it would disappoint me if it shit the bed, but at the same time, I've enjoyed the series. I think people so said much. that they liked it, but it had some narrative choices that they disagreed with. I know nothing about any of this. I could predict it having some of the same frustrations as that final series of The Expanse, where everything seems it's rushed, just condensed. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, but uh, like, is good casting the way that they talk, like certain choices of language, they'll say, like there's one, just in this city, there's a, sorry, just in this series, there's a part where they have to break into a city fortification, and uh, he goes, I think I might know a way in, back into the city, the Romans used to use this tunnel to get turds out of Buchenwok, <laughs> like, you know, it's just, or like they use the word hump, um, you know, you hump the queen's do- wife, uh, I don't know. Yeah. You gotta trust me on this. If you trust me on anything, but there's one other interesting thing that happens. The first two series were made by the BBC, and then Netflix bought it. Well done, and the, the BBC. The the the, the visual. I heard, jump. I heard season three is very good. Huh? I heard season three was very good of the Last Kingdom. Yeah, that was just like some random fan opinions. That I saw. The visual jump in terms of budget is staggering. Netflix in the show. have more than the BBC. Come on now, more people need to pay their license fee. I agree. But also, Netflix Netflix paid. bought The Last Kingdom when they were the only game in town. Right. And they were kind of competing with Vikings, even though they eventually bought Vikings too. I'll say, I'll say this. This is a far superior show to Vikings. I think we'll be tuning in next. Oh, wait. We still got a couple of things to cover. Oh, do we? Not, no. Well, I got some feedback for you. Oh, yeah. Well, I got and a couple we got of some things. opinions. Uh, enemy of the show, Luke McGinsky, got in touch uh, to say that the that series where Ruffalo chops off his hand, the Derek Chiam uh, France series, mm. apparently it's good. So okay. You watch it. It's good. Maybe we will. Yeah. Watch it, this much I know to be true. That's what he no, said. That's, he said you watch it. Is that, that's, that's not what it's called. That's the that's Nick a, Cave si- I think movie. that's like a Spandau Ballet song lyrics. No, that's the I truth. I know this much <laughs> is true. We are gold. Yeah, that too. What other feedback you got from me? So I got feedback from... I'll watch f- that, Luke. Thank you. I got uh, feedback from my friend Ewan McInnes because he uh, wanted to respond to you shitting on the first Harry Potter film. God, it's awful. To say that he was in it. I th- I thought one of the... 
saving graces of it was actually the performance of a young Ewan McGuinness. Yeah. So he when when Harry is taken to meet this, I asked him when he was in. He said when Harry is taken to meet the Quidditch camp the captain. I appear, in very commas, in the shadows in the bottom left corner whenever there are wide shots of the teacher holding an iguana in front of the class. Do you remember that part? I remember the scene, but no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you remember the scene. Not you and I'm going to search for that. I'm going to look for that. I asked him if he had any stories of, of on-set stuff, and he said, the doubles of the three child actors pushed in front of me at the lunch queue with their security. We only had Warner... The doubles had yeah, security? the doubles had security in the lunch queue. Uh, we only had Warner Brothers DVDs and playing cards to distract ourselves while we waited. I spent half a day getting fitted, a whole day doing nothing and waiting, and then another half a day of wait before the shoot. A few of us were chosen to walk in the corridor, corridor sit in classrooms, just in case the tracking shot saw us. Uh, the actor playing Quirrell. Quirrell? Ian Hart. Ian Hart, yeah. We've talked about before from Land and Freedom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was fun, good at keeping us entertained. And Maggie Smith said hello, nothing more. Yeah, yeah. Ian Hart seems like he would be that type. Yeah, he's like a fun scouser. He's a fun guy. Uh, he said, uh, great attention to detail and props and costumes. We all had We all had quills and spell books, uh, etc. The corridors in uh, Laycock Abbey, where the first and maybe second film shot, the cloistery bits, had those trompe-l'oeil trompe uh, paintings to make it look like they stretched off in the distance. He got paid £70 a day, so nearly £200 for the uh, two and a half days. This was 2001. They basically came to her school and asked if anyone 17 or 18 wanted to be in a film. Huh. So that, that was a process. So there you go. That's a, the star of the first Harry Potter film. Um, I would, as feedback. a respond to Ewan McGuinness, I'm just going through the IMDb um, a bit of extra trivia about Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Is it true that he smooched Emma Watson? Because that's what it says here. Or at least her... It says um, Ewan McGuinness got the shift off of Emma Watson. Maybe her uh, double. Maybe your double. security. That seems like the type of thing old Ewan McGuinness would fall for, to be honest. Didn't you have, you had another thing, uh, a question about final shots. Oh yeah, I did, actually. Yeah, yeah. Who's this from? Uh, This is from Trevor McGonagall from Kent. (laughs) He sounds like a real guy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to know what we think are the best final shots in films. His suggestion? Yeah. Franny and her fella, the Zodiac Killer, in bed together at the end of Fargo. I thought... You know. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's, yeah, for, he's from Zodiac. Yeah, yeah from, he's the Zodiac, uh, Zodiac killer. He's not the Zodiac killer yet in that movie, but... But he's the guy in real life that they think is a Zodiac. This is right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I've got three incredibly boring pat answers that you would expect for uh, final shots because mine are all linked to music. I need the music cue. I'm all about that. It's... Okay, can I guess one? Go. You're definitely going to yes. say Fight Club. No. All oh, right. okay. I like the music cue in Fight Club, but it's, you know, and obviously, something about Fight Club is just it's the fact you. that it's been taken over by fucking arseholes. Yeah, dickheads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't handle it by anyone who goes like, yeah, we should do that. That'd I've gotten good. over that a, a bit in recent years. I guess. I haven't rewatched it for a while. I like the Pixies song and then cutting in the dick. That's mm. great. But like, nah, I'm okay. Oh, but okay. I do. I mean, I've, I'm talking a couple of crowd pleasers in here and then maybe one that's a bit. Left field. If we're talking last shot, come on, I now. can't imagine train spotting. Maybe nah. What even is the last shot of train spotting? Him walking across the nah, bridge. I don't give a fuck about that. Oh no, it's not. It's Spud getting the money out of the locker. Oh yeah. Um, Reservoir Dogs. No. Okay, so I'll start from the bottom here. I went Heat. Oh, that was almost on mine. 
Yeah, yeah that's terrific. But that's again, it's like the music cue, our, our good, good uh, friend, Moby. Moby, yeah, yeah, Moby Good, Douglas. good, good, good friend. Unfortunately, not friend of the show, Moby, with his uh, God moving over the face of the waters. Oh, that's such the a terrific. The soundtrack to Heat is crazy. I was just listening to a bit earlier. It's got Kronos Quartet. It's Elliot Goldenthal. Yeah, the soundtrack is fucking sublime. And as a last shot, De Niro lying there, yeah. it's just great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you want me to play? No, I, I'll keep going. I'll keep going. All right. My second one is the most boring of all time, Shawshank. And what am I supposed to do? They're on the beach. They embrace. Helicopter shot. Thomas Newman that score kicks in. That is a great one, do, and I hadn't thought of that. Do, do. I mean, it's a classic. I mean, what, what was, what's what? Okay, my last one is, like I said, is a bit more... It's another De Niro. It's Noodles smiling in the opium den at the end of Once Upon a Time in America. Morricone score. De Niro's mad face. Good shout. I can't, you know, it's after that crazy ending um, of, uh, okay, spoilers, James Woods disappearing behind the uh, the rubbish truck. Yeah. It's a fun time. Which is, there are certain things that I figure, oh, I just wasn't mature enough to get. Um, and I, to be fair, it's been a few years since I've watched Once Upon a Time in America, but I bet I still don't get James Woods disappearing into the rubbish truck. I remember that I, I was a big fan of that scene where um, the kid is bringing like the girl a cupcake so she can give him a hand job, but then he's still such a kid that he eats the cupcake. Yeah, respect. He Indeed. made the right choice. I I got ones for you. So one of them we've talked about in this podcast already. We covered the movie. Yes, uh, it's Claire Denise. Um, Correct. Yeah, I know, I know. I know that because you fucking love What's His Chops dancing to Rhythm of the Night. What's I it do, called I again? fucking love it. Bo Bo Trevi. Trevi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that's... I know you love that. I don't... I, don't <laughs> I just think it's just care. It's so emotional. It made me cry. I'll still I just watch that it. sometimes. It's just a man dancing to a crap song. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Sorry. All right. How's this? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't even know what they... Is it the guy running with the chainsaw Yeah, yeah, going mad after one yeah. gets into the back of the pickup truck. Yeah, okay. All right. Good, good good, horror ending. Good horror shot. I'd like to mention two more, if I may. Go. Sorcerer. What's the final shot of Sorcerer? Oh, it's the it's a pull-out. It's oh, like a the, helicopter. The gangsters going into pull-out. the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's they're nice. Gonna, That's they're nice. going to kill Roy Scheider. But probably my number one. And you know what? I, I maybe thought I was over-egging this until for some reason the, uh, the other day I was talking to somebody and they brought up this film. And uh, it's one of my favorite of all time. I must rewatch it again to reaffirm this because I do actually think, now that I think about it, it might be one of the best films of all time. But the final shot is unbelievably great. Um, Weekend at Bernie's too. No, Children of Men. Is the final shot just her on the boat? Clive Owen is after, he's passed out from his wound. Right. And, and she's... they're just by the boy and you just see the ship emerging. Oh, from the yeah, 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 yeah. I cuts. mean, I don't know about that as the ending shot of all ending shots for me, but yeah, I mean, I love the film. I'd, that would go on my list of yearly rewatch. I like I've rewatched it so many times, but when it came up in conversation the other day, I was just thinking all the action, music choices, everything that just contributes to the story, to the world setting. This is what brought it up for me is like I was thinking about the opening of that movie. Can you think of anything that does the dual act of making you know what the world of the movie is yeah. and the exciting I think we incident? We talked about that not that long ago. We did, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, like the entrance into the refugee camp, the yeah. fucking ah anyway, Pierre Mullen being an arsehole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can. There's a funny story actually about that. He couldn't drive, but he was driving, and they only realized Respect. he couldn't drive once he was driving with Alfonso <laughs> Curran holding the camera in the front seat. 
Good effort. Anyway, this was a fun little discussion of cinemas. What we're here yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. We didn't have a specific film to focus on. I would highly recommend uh, Air and The Beasts to anyone who's listening. The other two, I'm like, ah, okay, you can take or leave. I I would um, I'm gonna go out on a limb and uh, recommend uh, Dirty Harry to people, <laughs> but also all five seasons of uh, The Last Kingdom. I can't. Vouch well, for I'll give I'll give Last yet. Kingdom a shot. I will, but I mean, my God, there's too many things and not enough time. You know what, though, as I'm sure you've noticed with our what we've uh, what you've been watching section. I've just backed away a little from the TV. I'll wait until something. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. wait until something gains a stellar opinion. I can't keep up with this shit. I've like, watched too much stuff. I've watched the first two minutes of the first episode of Yellow Jacket season two, and I've made no further progress. <laughs> I'm waiting until it's done. I'm not doing a week by week. Ted Lasso. I've watched the first episode and have not carried. I've kept on. up with. I Ted will. Lasso. I will keep watching it. I mean, I'll I'll watch it when it's done. But I'm not going week to week on these things. I refuse. What I even mean about that is, is like, I used to, there was a TV podcast that I used to listen to, and I was like, I'll listen to it, and if anything sounds good, I'll give it a punt. And then it was just like, all of this shit piling up on a list, and I would just kind of go into the list and say, I'll give that a watch. And I'd be like, this is very good, but... It's not great. Is he as good as Sorcerer? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I've kind of just gone back to watching more movies. And if anything is just, you know, recommended through the arsehole TV-wise, I'll give that a spin. But beyond that, I think I'm taking a little bit of a break. Recommended through the arsehole indeed. I'll, I'll go back to House of the Dragon when that comes out again. I enjoyed that a lot. I know you haven't seen it yet, but it's very good. Too many things. Too many things. Speaking of which, uh, I should probably go. Yeah. Right. So next up, we're going to be talking about uh, Brian Blowout. Blowout. And Killing of a Chinese Bookie. John Cassavetes' Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Yes, indeed. I'm looking forward to both of those conversations. I'm, I'm going to watch Blowing of a Chinese Bookie. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm going to watch Blowing of blowing a Chinese Blowing of a Bookie. Chinese outie. <laughs> <laughs> about that? I made that film. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at Chinese man's belly button. Yeah. <laughs> blowing on it uh, why'd all. you have to always give me a boner right when we're finished sorry all right well i guess that's me done for yeah peace out bye bye